Okay, so I'm just got to take a moment for Ireland here. So those of you who have not been uh, sometime, that it's a beautiful place to visit. And um, go to St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin and then go to the Rock of Cashel, which is where St. Patrick uh, crowned the kings of Ireland. And uh, uh, just a beautiful place to visit. We uh, got up one day, we uh, went down to Killarney and went out into the Killarney National Park, which is kind of mountainous and lakes. It's just beautiful. And I'm out there and we're going through here and the, and the guide's explaining to us, the guy that's taking us out here on this ride, he's going, you know, in Ireland there, there, there's no plants with thorns, uh, there's no stinging insects, there's no poisonous animals. He, and, and I'm going, you mean I could like take my shoes off and just walk through that field right there and not have to worry about anything? And he said, yeah, you could do that. I'm thinking, well, this really is like close to heaven, isn't it? I mean, for a kid that grew up in South Texas where, you know, every time you walk out, you're just waiting for what it is that's trying to get you, uh, it, it was kind of stunning to think, well, you, you could really do that. Oh, wow. So, so coming back on topic <laughs> with that uh, road to resurrection, we're going to talk about being condemned by the righteous this morning. I'm going to remind you uh, this road kind of uh, take you back to that imagery I used the first week, which is, you know, coming on to the, the fire roads in Colorado in the back of a four-wheel drive pickup and Cindy and I being bounced around until we came over the ridge and dropped into the valley of the Maroon Bells and had this beautiful uh, panoply before us of, of the Aspens and suddenly it didn't seem so bad to be riding around the back of the pickup. And, and for the rest of the day, with this kind of scenery and, and that in our hearts and our minds, uh, we were able to, to travel through the rest of the day and, and all the, the bumps and the dust and all that kind of stuff that had bothered us at the start of the day suddenly became a non-item uh, because we had this beauty in front of us. And as we come through Lent, that's, that's the guiding thing, you know, that we have, the, we have the resurrection in front of us and this is what we're, we're moving towards. And, um, and the road at times is going to be rough and it's going to be dusty, but, but nonetheless we have this in front of us. Uh, this road that we are, uh, scenery of the resurrection we're directed at. And, and Paul reminds us in Romans kind of how this is played out in our lives. He says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And that is the journey we are on. Let us pray. So, Father, we come this morning, and it's hard to talk of, of dark things on a beautiful spring morning like this. Uh, but come and be present with us and allow what we see outside to remind us of where we are going. That indeed, through this darkness, it leads us to a place of immeasurable joy. So, come and be present with us and let your light shine into us. May the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So I'll remind you a little of, of the story. We've had, a, we've had the Last Supper where Jesus was with his disciples. They've gone to the Garden of Gethsemane for that time of prayer, and, and the soldiers have come. Judas has betrayed Jesus. They've arrested him. And then Mark tells us they took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. And Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, there he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. Now just to, to remind you a little bit, the circles are on here because someone was good enough to point out to me that our friends online can't see what I do with my pointer in here. So for those of you online, uh, pay attention to the circles. Uh, it'll help you a lot. <laughs> but uh, you see one circle over here on the right. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And you'll remember, we, we started off down near this first circle, the house of Caiaphas. We started off at the upper room on this journey. We went around the temple uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus, now being arrested, has been brought back that same path, pretty much, uh, to the house of Caiaphas, which is over here in this residential area, not far from where the upper room is. So he's made this journey now back and forth, and he's brought into uh, the place where Caiaphas lives. It's the, the house of Caiaphas. It was the traditional house of the high priest. And, and today, of course, you know, after uh, the sack of, of Jerusalem by Rome and, and centuries, um, you know, the house, what's left of the house is in ruins underneath the current city. But above it is built a, a beautiful uh, church, and it's an easy one to spot because on, on the weather vane is a rooster. This is St. Peter Gallican too, that's the church of St. Peter where the cock crowed. Uh, and it's built on that location. And uh, on Easter and sometimes on uh, days when we do funerals or Christmas, you'll see I have a white linen stole I'll wear uh, that is made by the nuns of the convent attached to this church. Uh, so uh, it's quite a, a, an easy place to spot when you're there. As you can tell, it's kind of the architecture is rather distinctive. And you've got that gold rooster up on the roof. And this is where they come back around to this location, except it's, it's really underneath the current churches where the ruins of Caiaphas's house are. And the chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Inside that church above the altar is uh, this mosaic uh, depicting Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin. And you'll notice it's got a lot of light in it. This is actually, you know, in reality, this is taking place at night, right? Remember? He's gone out to the garden. It's after dinner. It's dark. They brought him back in the dark to the house of Caiaphas. And this is where these events are going to take place. Now, I, I want you to think about that for, for just a minute. Uh, first off, you know, we know that when Peter denies him, it's going to be before the cock crows twice. And some people think, oh, well, that means it was sun up the next morning. Those of you who've been around roosters know that they don't wait for sun up. They tune up usually around 3 or 4 in the morning. So uh, it's really about the middle of the, of the early hours when, when that happens. But, but this time is after dark, and they brought him to Caiaphas' house before the Sanhedrin and, and, the, and the teachers and the, of the law. They brought him there in the middle of the night. Now, the Sanhedrin is kind of the chief policy group or ruling group of the, the Hebrew religion uh, in this time and of the Jewish people uh, in religious law. And so this is their normal function, and they usually meet during the day, and they meet in the, in the temple or around the temple area on the mount uh, where people can come and hear their debates and hear them discussing things. They are now meeting in the middle of the night in Caiaphas' house. They've come together to listen to Jesus. And, and the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Tell us even more so, this is on the night of the Passover. So, so what would you think if a, a major policy decision-making body gathered in someone's house on the night, like of a big holiday night, maybe Christmas Eve, to have a crucial meeting? What would you think might be going on in that meeting? Something kind of janky, right? It's a little off, isn't it? Yeah, they don't want, they don't want people to know what they're doing. Because he's been teaching in the temple all week and crowds have gathered to hear him. And they don't want that attention. They don't want people to see what they're doing at this point. So all this is taking place in secret in Caiaphas' house. Now, remember that the, the, 
the Sanhedrin, the Hebrews at this time, uh, don't have anything in their law that, that allows for anyone to be put to death. So eventually they're going to have to reach across to Pilate because only the Romans have that authority. But for now, they've, they've brought him in to question him uh, and to try to understand just what's going on. The high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. Now let me ask you something. When I read that sentence, I am, and you'll see the Son of Man sitting in the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Did you immediately go, oh, ooh, you went too far there, Jesus? Or were you kind of going, why, why, why are they so upset about that? I think most of us don't understand that when Jesus makes that answer, he's quoting scripture back to the council, right? I am. He's quoting Exodus. When Moses said to God, who shall I say sent me? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am. Psalm 110 the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. Then Daniel, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. All right. See what Jesus, again, I am. Exodus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, the Psalm, and coming on the clouds of heaven. Daniel. He literally is quoting scripture back to the high priest. And the men in that room would have known exactly what he was saying. You know, ever so often there's this debate that kind of whirls up about, well, did Jesus really think he was the son of God? Did he really think he was divine, you know, or, or are we putting that on him or whatever? But, but this answer makes it really clear. That he understood himself to be the Messiah, the divine one, the chosen one of God, the Son of God. And that's, that's, why, that's why the high priest can, can tear his robe, right? You've heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. Because the world... The world does not affirm the Messiah. 
Now, they, they can't put him to death themselves. They've got to send him to Pilate. So now what do you do with him for the rest of the night? Underneath Caiaphas's house are, are what we would think of as holding cells uh, where religious prisoners were held. And unlike our cells, you know, with the bars and so forth, actually what they are is they are pits that are dug through the basement of the house. Uh, they're about 10 or 12 feet deep. And the prisoners would be lowered down into that on a rope and then left there in the pit in the dark overnight until the next day when their trial or their execution was to take place. So Jesus is lowered into the pit. And if you look at this, that red circle, you'll see the cross inscribed on the lip of that, uh, that pit right there. Uh, the church early on marked this as the pit that they believed Jesus was held in. And this is where he spent the night, <laughs> down in the bottom of that pit. It has a, a light system in it now, but they'll turn it off if you're there. And you can imagine being down in there and in that darkness. And you might even read this scripture. Lord, you're the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with tr troubles, and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. Again, this is what love, God's love, looks like. And while all that's happening inside uh, in Caiaphas' palace, outside the front of it, there in the courtyard, a very different uh, drama is playing out, the one that the church is named after. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. And again, he denied it. But now that she's planted that seed, uh, after a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now, now in this day and age, the area around Galilee has a, a little bit of a different dialect than the area around Jerusalem. And so whenever one of the disciples from that region would speak, the people in Jerusalem would probably have been able to identify where they were from. Their method of dress was a little bit different as well and less formal, more country, less formal, and, and they would have recognized. So it didn't take them long to spot that he was from there. And, and you hear Peter, the rock on which the church is going to be built, the mighty apostle, in fear, not only deny but curse in denial that he knows Jesus. When first the servant girl in the crowd goes, yeah, you're a Galilean. I think you're one of those guys that was with him. And we're told he denies him three times. In Scripture, three is a significant number. It means completion, fullness. It's a complete denial. 
completely denied him. In one of the synoptic gospels, in one of the stories where this is uh, recorded, uh, at the moment that he denies him and the cock crows, uh, he's in a line of sight with Jesus as they're bringing him to put him in the pit. And Jesus looks up and catches Peter's eye. You know, it's, it's, it's bad enough to live with the fact that you're so afraid that you've denied even knowing him. But then to see him and have him see you and know that he knows. You know, what does that feel like? What does that feel like? It, it has to be one of the low points of all of Peter's life. The importance of this story is, is, is so stressed by the fact that, I mean, not only does it appear in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we all know kind of shares some common material, but it's also carried in John's gospel. And John comes from a very different place. But the fact that it appears in all four gospels meant that everyone knew this about Peter. And I suspect Peter probably told this story on himself. I mean, we all know that, that Peter denied. And he shared that story. And it's really easy for us to, to want to point finger at you chicken. You should have been stronger. You should have spoken up. But as my grandmother says, right? When you point one finger that way, there's always three pointing back at yourself. You know, Peter denied. You know, the other disciples weren't even there. They didn't even show up. And every time I read this story, I'm kind of wondering about that. <sighs> would I have at least been in the courtyard or, or like the rest of the disciples, would I have run back to the upper room and been in hiding? Right? Where would you be? I mean, what kind of shape would you have been in? And, and would you have owned it or disowned him in that moment? I, every time I read this story, I'm just, I have to ask myself, you know, when have I denied Christ? You know, when have I abandoned him? When have I betrayed him? When have I allowed fear <laughs> to keep me from speaking my faith? And let's be honest, in, in this day and age, that is more and more a pressure because our society is sometimes hostile to religion Sometimes just not real friendly to it, but it's seldom accommodating in the way it used to be. Because remember, secular society is built on the Constitution and the laws that come from it. Christianity is built on Scripture and the faith that comes from it. There's places and times where those may come together well. You know, the world loves it when we feed the hungry people of the world. They like that. Oh, that's wonderful. They're not so happy when we call people to a higher standard of living, a higher standard of morality. But who do you think you are? And it's so easy for us to deny and betray and abandon because we're afraid of that. Now, now, now just think about this. <laughs> if you're in a significant relationship or you're married... 
you know, your commitment to that person is supposed to be all in. What would happen in that relationship if you were going to go, well, you know, I'll, 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 I'll act like I know you when it works well for me. But, you know, when you do something really embarrassing, I'm just going to walk away from you and act like I don't know you. Right? Ever had that happen? I kicked over a shoe display many years ago in a store. And my whole family just walked away from me. <laughs> now, that was silly and funny, and it was okay. But, you know, sometimes it's more serious than that. And, and when we don't claim the people who love us, then life can become really rough. And sometimes it's just hard. I was so proud in 2019 when my daughter stood up and addressed the general conference. She gathered that morning with a group of other young delegates that were there who did not feel that their views were being represented on the floor. They drafted a statement. Uh, it was not, uh, it didn't attack anyone. It was not irate. It didn't use rough language. It was very graciously spoken that said, this is who we are and this is what we believe. And she was the only one who had the strength and the courage to get up and speak. Knowing, knowing that she would be treated hatefully by people there and people back here. Knowing some of the emails she would get, some of the Facebook posts she would get. And I was so proud of her that she had the courage to stand up and say what she believed and say what she thought Christ was calling her to. At the same time, it made me kind of wonder about, geez, how many times have I not been willing to do that? Right? I mean, you know, Peter may have denied directly, but remember, the rest of the disciples, we didn't even show up. Now, here's where that goes, because if, if the story ended there, you'd kind of be going, oh, my gosh. You know, I'm going to go home and you know, beat myself up and you know, feel, feel bad about myself. This is what I want you to hear. The story doesn't end there because there's another piece to this story that happens several days later on the other side of the resurrection when Peter and the others have gone back to fish in the Sea of Galilee. And as they're fishing early in the morning, a man on the shore calls them over and they realize it's the resurrected Christ and they go over and he's preparing breakfast for them and he begins to speak to Peter and he says to him three times, he says, Peter, do you love me? John says, that the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's interesting in John's gospel, the, the first two times Jesus says to him, the word he uses is agape, this, this pure kind of love. And Peter, Peter keeps answering him back with philo, you know, brotherly love. Maybe a sign that Peter doesn't feel he's worthy of that. But the third time when Jesus speaks to him, he comes back and says, do you love me, phileo? Do you love me like a brother? That's when Peter knows that, that Jesus understands the depth of his pain and his despair. But for every denial, Jesus gives him a chance to affirm. For every denial, Jesus gives him a chance to affirm. 
And it will be the same with all the other disciples. And it is the same with you and me. And it was the same with Paul, the persecutor of the church, when God knocked him down on the road to Damascus and blinded him and and then brought him in the community and his sight was restored. And Paul began to understand that, that this Jesus wasn't interested in persecuting him. He was interested in saving him. And both for Peter and Paul, having experienced that powerful love of God, life was never the same. Right? God demonstrates his love for us. And that's while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hear that. While we were still sinners, when we had denied and abandoned and betrayed, Christ died for us. And Paul makes that emphasis on that resurrection. I'm received what I passed on to you. It's important. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. I mean, Paul and Peter both lived from this place of understanding that something fundamental had changed. And that all that denial and betrayal and abandonment had been washed away. And for the rest of their lives, when they were going around and encountering people who say things like us, right? Okay, God, this is really tough. Give me a sign. Okay, God, this is really difficult. You need to show up. God, God you need to do something, right? You ever been there? For all those moments that Paul and, and Peter understood, God did give us a sign. And God did show up. And God did do something amazing. God loved us beyond all measure. That's why the church celebrates the story with a rooster on the top. Not because of the denial, but because of the forgiveness that took someone who denied and made them the rock on which the church would be built. And that same Jesus does that for us. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come and we confess to you that we struggle We struggle to share our faith. We struggle in in times of difficulty. Sometimes we struggle to walk next door and invite someone to come with us to worship. We struggle with the, the lack of respectability that our faith carries in the world these days. We struggle with the harshness of the words we sometimes face. And so we deny. We don't show up. We abandon Sometimes we even betray. And yet your love is so great that for every instance of that, you offer us forgiveness and restoration. So, Father, we give you thanks for this great love that you have poured out upon us in Jesus Christ. Let all those denials and abandonments be crucified with Christ that we might be raised up with him in the light of the resurrection. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.